Um, it is a joy and privilege, really an honor for me to be here with you this morning. I am one of the pastors of North Shore Fellowship. Uh, if you've been here long enough, <laughs> you know that you are a daughter church of ours, and we think of you that way. Uh, you live on our prayer sheet. Uh, we have no intention of ever taking you off. Uh, I can't remember a week we didn't gather on a Thursday morning and pray for you. Uh, this church by name, uh, your pastors by name, it's a joy to support you in that way, and I hope you all know we are always a phone call away. Um, so it's a really just an honor to be here this morning. It's also a privilege to be among you because I know that like us, you've experienced a lot of joy and a lot of suffering. You know both. Um, and so I think this passage this morning from Ephesians is going to really resonate with you in some, some wonderful ways. Uh, getting into this passage, uh, I don't, we didn't print it, but just before this, there's this wonderful section that reminds us, uh, Ephesians 5, verse 8, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light. And it says a few more things about how we live. And then just before this, the, the verse before this, verse 14 says this, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's the wonderful hit of great good news that comes just before this passage. If that resonates with you this morning, um, that will help you get the passage, that will help you understand it. So think of a way that you have been woken from the dead, that you have risen to new life. Uh, it could be your, your whole Christian life. Maybe you experienced a time before you knew Christ and you've been risen from the dead. Maybe in your family you've experienced a, a period of darkness and you've been woken up, you've been risen from the dead. As I was pondering this passage, I remembered that <clears throat> I went camping uh, about five weeks ago or something like that for the second time in two decades. I'm not a camper. Uh, it was every bit as bad as I remembered it being. Uh, I'm not an outdoors guy. For some reason, when I go outdoors, the outdoor says, you shouldn't be here in some way or another every time. Get stung by bees and just weird stuff happens. But we were, we were camping with some friends at Cades Cove, and it got colder than we thought it was going to get. And we, I'm not a camper, we don't have the right stuff for that. So it got down to about 35. We're in a tent with our 18-month-old daughter and she's not happy about the temperature, and our eight-year-old son's not happy about the temperature, and I'm really not happy about the temperature, sleeping on the hard ground and feeling like I'm getting attacked by my sleeping bag the whole night. I'm not a morning person either, but <laughs> as soon as I saw the first glimpse of light, I was so happy to get out of bed, out of bed, out of my terrible uh, sleeping bag. I was so happy to wake up, and I looked around, and other people were, you know, stumbling out of their tombs also. It kind of looked like the thriller video there for a minute where we were like, where's the coffee? And like just dying. But we were so happy to be alive. <laughs> I think my experience of Christ is similar to that. And when I read this passage, that's how I feel. I've been awoken from the dead. I'm happy to be alive in Christ. I'm ready to hear what Paul has to say next. Would you pray with me so that we're all prepared to hear it? Father, I believe that you speak through your word all the time. And I humbly ask that this morning you would use me 
in these simple words that I've prepared to help each of us reconnect with your word, to be invigorated by your spirit, to feel the life coursing through us, and to live in ways that are honoring to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage is in the book of Ephesians, and I know y'all haven't been through the book of Ephesians anytime recently, so I'd, I'd like to give you a little summary of what's come up before in Ephesians, but I want to do it by way of a key, key word that shows up in verse 15. So verse 15 starts, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Look carefully then how you walk. Now, if we had been reading through Ephesians Uh, you might notice, oh, I've seen that word walk a few times. And you'd be right. Not only have you seen it a few times, you've seen it six times before this. The word walk is something that Paul uses as a, it's a metaphor for living, how you live. So Paul uses this word walk seven times in the book of Ephesians, and this is the last. And you may be familiar also with the, the armor of God section at the end of Ephesians. What he does there is he takes this metaphor of walking and converts it to standing. Now stand in him, take your stand in him. So let me remind you uh, how he's used the word walk in Ephesians. I think it kind of serves as an outline. In verse 2, chapter 2, Paul said, At one time you were dead, and that we once used to walk, all of us, in that death. Uh, the, The spirit of darkness had us under his control. We all used to live in darkness. But Christ made us alive, and still in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Now walk in the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to walk in them. So we were dead in our trespasses and sin. God made us alive, and he gave us the ability to walk in him. Chapter 4, it says, Walk in a manner worthy. Walk in a manner that fits your calling. And in chapter 4, he says, We're all one in Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all of us, and also different gifts have been given to each. So we each have to figure out this way that we have in common to all walk together, but we also have been given different gifts. And even as I came in this morning and I saw different people serving in different ways, I met Will for the first time in the back there serving as a deacon. I met elders serving in that way, people coming in to work with children, Nathan leading us in worship with everyone else. God has given us each different gifts, and we're all serving in them. That's part of our walk. Uh, Then he says, don't walk as the Gentiles walk, and goes through some more ways that we can stumble. And instead, 5 verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? And gave himself for us. So this sacrificial way of walking. 5 verse 8, what I said a minute ago, you were once darkness, but now you're light, so walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And here, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So for the first half of our time together, I want to consider what does it look like to walk in wisdom? Um, And he tells us what it looks like to walk in wisdom right after this, making the best use of the time. Now, a lot of us, when we hear about time management, making the best use of time, we think efficiency. Efficiency is king. Do everything as quickly as possible and get on to the next thing. So we try to multitask, like 
you know, brushing your teeth in the car, eating breakfast in the shower, or whatever it may be. People do crazy stuff to try to like get in as much as they possibly can in the smallest amount of time so that we can do more things throughout the day. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. He's not saying cram as much as you possibly can into every waking moment. He's saying in every waking moment, use it wisely. Use it well, not efficiently. So if you're gathered for dinner, it doesn't mean that you should be doing your work and emailing and texting and stuff while you're gathered for dinner. Instead, be gathered for dinner. (laughs) The best use of that time is to look up and see each other's faces and talk to one another. So use the, make the best use of the time. This, uh, the phrase making the best use of the time is literally, it, it's translated like to buy out, to buy back the time. And he says, because the days are evil, which means that if you don't struggle to make the best use of the time, the time will get used in other ways. So he encourages us to make the best use of the time. And he also says, so how do you walk? What does it mean to walk wisely? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So here's the answer. How do you walk wisely? The answer is in obedience. In obedience to what God has told us. Now, there's, there's kind of two ways of thinking about what God's will is, uh, and they're both helpful. One is uh, sort of this searching and discerning. It shows up even in Ephesians. He says, you know, walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. In other places, he says that by testing, you may discern what the will of the Lord is. And in First Thessalonians, uh, pray without ceasing. This is the will of the Lord. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. So there's a sense in which God wants us to, as we move into new situations that didn't even exist when the uh, scripture was written, and therefore there's no specific commandment there, we're supposed to discern, we're supposed to test, we're supposed to try things, and as we're doing it, we're supposed to ask, is this the will of the Lord? But there's a, a first, primary, more fundamental meaning to what the will of the Lord is, and it doesn't involve this you know, strange, like using a stick to try to figure it out thing, the primary way that God has revealed himself is in his word. The primary way we should always be asking ourselves, am I living in God's will for my life, is we test it by scripture. That's why our Old Testament lesson was Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 6. He says, see, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. I love this verse. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this nation is a wise and understanding people. How do you walk in wisdom? How do you walk wisely? You read God's word. You discern what's written there, and then you obey it. It's very simple, and yet we fail to do it pretty often. So in this passage, Paul's going to give us one specific way of walking and some four applications for it. So if you're a, an outline kind of person, 
One chief practice of wise walking is be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And then there's four applications of it. So what is this? We're moving on to what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? So in verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, So I'll be honest, I had mixed feelings about the fact that this verse is in the context of what I wanted to preach. Um, I'm a guest preacher. I don't know you that well uh, to address the whole issue of alcohol and drinking and drinking frequency and stuff. So um, if anything I say offends you, you can tell Jimmy about it and ask him uh, what his positions are. But but I'm going to lay my cards out here for a second. Uh, So just I'll trust you. You trust me with this. Um, I do not believe that Scripture specifically prohibits the consumption of alcohol altogether. I don't think that it does. But I do know Christians who are older and wiser than I am who do think that Scripture specifically prohibits alcohol consumption across the board. And I respect that. And here's what I want to use some of my leverage. I want to ask you to respect that too. So if someone is a Christian and they believe that you shouldn't drink at all, I want, you to, I want to ask you to respect that. There's other Christians who believe that it's okay, in general, it's not specifically prohibited to drink alcohol ever, but they have chosen not to do so for various reasons. Alcoholism runs in the family, their witness, whatever it may be, and I respect that, and I want to ask you to do the same. If you know someone that's a Christian regardless of whether or not they think it's right or wrong, they've chosen not to drink alcohol. I, I, just, I ask you to respect that. It's, it's, a, it's a wise, discerning thing that they have done, and a hard thing, if they've chosen to give up something that they think is permissible for good reason. Um, all of that is my opinion. Here's fact. Scripture specifically prohibits getting drunk. So we can disagree, we can, should we drink at all? Should we drink socially? Should we drink alone? Should we give up that right for the sake of another? That's all in the area of wisdom and discernment. Here's, here's the clear admonition. Do not get drunk. Why is Paul so specific about this? Do not get drunk. Why in this context? He's talking about wise living. He's going to go on to talk about things that look like they're happening in the context of corporate worship and living your life together. Why does he target in on this one specific command, do not get drunk? He's using it. I think it is a, a, a true and specific command, but he's also using it to help us understand what he's about to say after this. Do not get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery. By the way, debauchery. That's not a word we use these days. So I asked a friend of mine that is like a Greek master, what is this word? What does it mean? Debauchery. It was Roger Lambert. Some of y'all may know him. So I asked Roger Lambert, what does this word mean? Debauchery. And he said, oh, well, it's, it's like dissipation. And I was like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know dissipation either. And he said, oh, I guess it's fallen out of use in our culture. And, he, and then he said something like, you know, it's like uh, profligation, which I'm not even sure I'm saying right, because I've never heard that word used in a sentence. Um, unfortunately, we've lost this word. 
um, we've lost what Paul is specifically warning us against the effects of getting drunk with wine. But the antidote is to be filled with the Spirit, so you can kind of understand what's going on. Don't get drunk with wine. Maybe a, a good translation for us lay people is because that leads to a wasted life. Um, in, the, in one of our songs we just sang, um, I think it was the fast one that I, that I thought went pretty well. Um, I'm not going to be able to find it. Oh, yeah. Refuse to waste our life, for you are our joy and prize. That's what getting drunk leads to. It leads to a wasted life. And some of you have seen it happen. Either moment by moment or year by year, you've seen drinking, alcohol, result in a wasted life. But instead of filling yourself with alcohol, this is what Paul's doing, instead of filling yourself with alcohol and resulting in wasted life, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he doesn't say this, but which results in true life. So he's setting up a contrast. Don't give control of your life to a liquid. Give control of your life to the Holy Spirit. Whether you drink a little or none at all, don't drink to excess and waste your life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? At the, at the same place in, um, you may know this, Colossians and Ephesians have, share a lot of content. They were probably written about the same time, both by Paul. So in a very similar place in a Colossians, he's talking about this, and he says, um, oops, I don't have it in front of me. Next page. Nope, not there either. Maybe I just don't have it here. Come on. Oh, well. In the same place in Colossians, he says, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, speaking and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs like he does here. So in the same place in two different books, one he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then the other he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's how it connects to the previous section. We should be wise in our walking. How do we be wise in our walking? We walk according to the word. We don't get drunk with wine. We don't give ourselves in control over to a substance. Instead, we give ourselves in control to the Holy Spirit by means of being filled with the word of Christ. So he hasn't left his topic for a new one. It seems like a big shift, but really he's right on track. He's talking about how we live our lives wisely, being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking to one another in response to that. Um, if I can spend just a, another moment on this, this wine and spirit contrast. Um, there's a third way that most of us fall into. So most of us in the room are, um, by experience or fear of being outed or whatever it may be, we, we're not giving ourselves over to alcohol and we're not wasting our lives. Most of us in the room, that's the case. We're not living here. Many of us in the room also are not really kind of giving ourselves over to being shaped by the word and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're not wasting our life. We're not really being filled. We're not really giving our lives to others. Instead, we're doing this middle option that Jesus warns us about, 
which is keeping your life. Keeping your life. So if, if getting drunk on alcohol leads to a lack of control and the Holy Spirit, one of his gifts is self-control, keeping your life is what I would call selfish control. You haven't completely lost control of your life and from the outside it all looks good, but you're not in a spirit-filled life giving up of control to others. Instead, you're keeping selfish control of your lives. I think many of us here are guilty of that, of falling into this middle trap of preserving my way of life, keeping the status quo, just keeping the house sane uh, and not letting the kids uh, make us go crazy, you know? Um, Just sort of mediating all the influences and trying to keep it safe. And Paul is warning us about that. As I was thinking about that, I was thinking about this wonderful being filled with the Holy Spirit results in self-control and giving your life to others, self-control. And I was thinking about the other gifts of the Spirit. So the, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit for all of us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So I was thinking about why we give ourselves over to substances. And now I'm going to speak more broadly than just alcohol. Because Paul didn't live in a day where they had ecstasy, meth, hydrocodone, Adderall, um, uh, being abused, not under prescription, of course. Um, I think there's a great use uh, for drugs under uh, supervision, control, prescribed by a doctor. I think there's wonderful uses for those. But many of us today know someone that has abused a prescription drug. Why do we do that? What are we chasing when we take into our body something that wasn't prescribed for us, take something into our body that we know has side effects and is hurtful to us? Why do we do it? This is, this is a little simplistic, but I think one of the reasons we do it is because we long for the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. But we long for it. We, we want to take the shortcut to a lesser form of it. So we long for love, and when we can't find love, we take ecstasy. We long for joy, and when we can't find it, we get high on meth or something like it. We long to experience peace, wholeness, solitude. And when we can't find it, we abuse a drug like hydrocodone. The reason those things are so bad is not just because uh, they're a lesser version of love, joy, and peace, but because they're a counterfeit. They're not real, they're a fake, they're a thief. How well do you think someone is equipped to find true love who's high on ecstasy? How well do you think someone high on meth can experience true gospel joy? And it's the same thing with alcohol. How well equipped is someone who's intoxicated to experience peace and joy and love? And so Paul is warning us to not pursue those things. 
So how do you experience the filling of the Holy Spirit? What does it look like? Uh, briefly, three more verses. One is addressing one another or speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is where um, I think, picture this corporate gathered worship service. Um, this is holy ground. When Christians are gathered together for worship, this is a wonderful sacred space wherever it happens. When people willingly come into the context of others and live their lives before others, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, uh, you're submitting to me right now whether you know it or not. You're letting me speak. You're being quiet so I can. That's a, you're practicing submission right now. You have elders and deacons who have specific tasks and worship leaders and things like that, and you submit to them regularly out of reverence for Christ. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So we address one another in our liturgy and songs. We use the content of songs even when we speak to one another. And we also sing and make melody to God with all our hearts. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this is uh, giving thanks always and for everything is, is actually pretty hard. Um, that's why I love that y'all are a church that has experienced sorrow and joy. Because you know what it means to give thanks always and for everything. And you know that it's hard. It's pro-level, professional-level Christianity to be able to give God thanks for the quote-unquote bad things in our lives that he's given to us. It's easier to give thanks for the good things that God has given to us. So wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, give thanks for what you can. And one of the beauties of gathering together as God's people is that we give thanks collectively. Because I'll be honest, some days I just, I can't. I'm so broken, I'm so disappointed, I'm so confused that I can't. And so I gather with worshipers like you. And I hear you giving thanks and it helps me. And submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Alright, this is the hardest one. Our view of submission is weak. It's totally weak. Uh, it's weak in the sense that it's diluted. We don't think that the Bible is actually telling us to submit. It's also weak because every one of us uh, has something against authority in our lives. We've seen authority misused, and so we pick and choose our, our levels of authority. It's hard for us to submit. What would it look if we submitted to one another, though? Not out of reverence for the other person, but out of reverence for Christ. What would that look like? That would look like you don't have to earn it. I'm submitting out of reverence for Christ. You don't have to always be perfect. You can make mistakes, and I can still submit. There was a, a time in my life where I was having trouble submitting to some authorities, and um, I'm going to have to be a little vague on this one, but um, I was telling my wife about it. Uh, her name's Melissa. I was telling Melissa about it, and um, this was early in the morning. I woke up. I couldn't sleep. I was telling her I'm having trouble submitting to the session of our church on this thing, and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to convince them otherwise. And, she, and it involved her too. And she said, well, even if they're wrong, we'll do it. 
And I was like, what? And she said, yeah, we're under their authority. Even if, even if they have terrible reasons and they make this decision and it affects us in this way, we'll just do it. And I was like, wow, I really don't understand submission. And she does. And it was a wonderful gift to me that she does. I'll read our passage again as we close. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you also for your spirit. We confess that apart from your spirit's help, your word would be dead to us and would kill us. So we ask that Holy Spirit would illumine our hearts, that as we reflect on this text, that you would open it up to us, that we would experience the love and grace of this text, the way that you have made us alive in Christ. I pray that we would walk in Christ by the Spirit to your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.